Hi, and welcome to Non-Fungible Queens, a podcast for the queens and the in-betweens. I'm Hodel Hill. I'm Kay Duck. Welcome back to another episode. Today we're sitting down with Amanda Morton Sr., aka Dream Alchemist. Uh, some of you builders out there might know her as that. Um, <laughs> we're super excited to sit down. You know, um, we Hill personally loves the sandbox. I love the sandbox. We're super excited to have another builder in the house. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to meet you both. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I admittedly not as familiar with the sandbox as Hill is. So it's always a treat for me to have, you know, um, some builders on and people that are in, you know, that realm of the space. I, you know, I love learning about it, love seeing what's going on. So I'm super excited. I, you know, I've, Hill catch me up on a little things you're working on. So sounds like we're going to be in for a treat here and everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to share it with you guys because I think some of the things that we're doing, um, in some regards, they might be considered innovative. In others, I think we are just innovating on top of innovation, to be honest. Uh, one of the biggest opportunities we find in this space is uh, creators knowing and earning their value. Uh, so that was definitely you know, something that got me involved in the space was noticing how many creatives we're doing such incredible artwork. And I think as brands and companies enter, it's really easy for artists to be taken advantage of in, in a certain sense. So um, I've got a lot of background in artist management and thought it would be a great opportunity for me to come in and start supporting the artists on a, a freelance basis. And then it kind of snowballed into there uh, where I've I started working on projects with uh, Squiggly Studios, so Squiggly Metaverse Academy. And uh, through them, uh, I actually got started with them as a builder. <laughs> so not to like go backwards, but um, I started in tech years ago at working at Atlantis Aerospace, which uh, we designed the flight simulators for airline pilots and for army pilots for the Canadian Army. We had a contract with them. And I worked there for about eight years, um, all through the organization, everything from, you know, starting as a seasonal receptionist all the way up to executive assistant work and helping with, you know, IT and software and things like that. Um, then from there, I moved into Apple and I was at Apple for about seven years working in B2B. So uh, integrating technology into businesses and then moved on up into uh, leadership and look, overseeing a team of over 200 in a busy store during launches of iPhones and all of that stuff. Um, all at the same time, which a lot of people think is crazy. Those who know me know that it's, know that it's real. Um, all at the same time while doing that, I was working as a professional performer, professional dancer, and managing several, several event locations in Toronto and uh, different um, dance groups and performance groups and essentially managing their workflow, making sure everybody was getting paid um, and also performing and choreographing myself in between. So I was working probably 12 to 16 hour days, you know, five to six days a week for quite a few years um, doing two different industries, which was awesome. And it sounds crazy, but I loved, I've always loved what I was doing. Like I've, I've always gone into I've always worked in something that I, I thoroughly enjoy. And that being said, you know, I had a, I had an urge to, uh, when I left Apple, I was prioritizing health and personal life and family. And I kind of wanted to realign. And part of that was that I wanted to learn 3D animation. 
because I know that the space and I knew the space was blowing up. So this is about a year and a half ago. Um, I knew the space was blowing up. So I started learning about NFTs. Uh, my husband's really into crypto a little bit more than I am. Um, I'm more into like animation and design and things like that. Uh, so I started it's a familiar story. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. They work really well together. Uh, so yeah, I started learning, um, more about the space. And then in January I joined Squiggly because I saw their TikTok about learning, you know, how to build in the sandbox. And I thought that was dope and it was free. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to join that. It sounds awesome. And I joined as a student, started learning how to create assets, started learning how to use game maker, how to create my own animations. And just the energy in the community was so incredible and everybody was so engaged and is so engaged. Um, so like the learning was seamless. Like if I have, a, if I had a question at 3am, there was always someone up to answer it. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> um, but like such a great resource. Um, then they started talking about wanting to do like bigger builds and getting into development for brands and, and helping more people get into the space and helping the sandbox expand. And that's where I, uh, I, I raised my hand was like, yeah, I'd love to help you guys with that if that's what you're looking to do. And they, uh, they brought me on as a consultant. So I've been working with Squiggly basically since January, February this year um, to support their, their business development, their strategic planning, partnership development, all of that stuff. And all the while, coaching and mentoring the artists in the group on professionalism, integrity, knowing their rate, knowing their worth, um, supporting project managers with, you know, the process of game development too. Cause there's, there's a lot of learning curves. There's a lot of technicalities and um, you know, many of these creators join the space because they're incredibly innovative artists, but not so sure how the business side of it works or how they can monetize their craft um, outside of simply, you know, putting their asset up on the marketplace. Like what are some other ways that you can utilize your skills? So um, essentially I'm doing what I absolutely love to do right now. And that's supporting and mentoring both artists and businesses to make sure that we can have, you know, as open and inclusive and accessible of a space as possible in what we're creating. And another big thing, uh, especially with Squiggly that I love is that, you know, they kind of gave me the reins on organization and we're essentially building like a democratic work approach where, yes, there's, you know, a few more pain points because decisions that are usually made by one person and one person only are now being made by a group. Uh, so we're learning how to utilize technology for it, like different blockchain, DAO, and what that looks like. Um, and, you know, what I love about it is everyone has said, all the artists have said, you know, this is a little bit harder, but it's so worth it um, because it's not a top-down approach. We're removing the hierarchy and everybody has ownership. So I love that because we're seeing that more and more in this space where ownership is a really big deal and maintaining ownership where it should be or where we want it to be um, is really important. Yeah. You know, for me, I think that it, I'm personally not an artist, but if I were an artist, I think, you know, like the um, the motivation behind wanting to jump in this space would be that. In fact, that like, you know, you talking about how artists coming in and stuff, they may not know 
how to, you know, market themselves or, you know, their rates and stuff like that. But the point of this space is, is like everyone gets ownership and, and they get to make the rules. Like it's not like Web 2 where you sign to a gallery and, you know, they take all the you get a small commission and they take everything else and, you know, they get all the royalties and stuff like that. Like the whole point of this space is to make it make the art be owned by the artist and you know i think i think it's really cool that you have such a you have such a unique background coming from basically both sides you know you have the artist side and then you have like the business side so that's that's super cool to hear that you know you're able just having having you know info and having experiences on both sides like that that's insane thanks yeah i i didn't really realize um how useful it would be until i started working with the artists like directly and then I was like okay there is actually a huge there's a huge hole that we need to fill when it comes to expectations because what I've seen happening from the get is that clients and I think this has to do with like also uh, different platforms like Upwork and Fiverr um, which are amazing platforms by the way for for individual artists independent artists but the issue with it is that it seems almost as though the clients in this industry had started when it comes to independent working with independent artists, the clients have kind of been the ones gauging the pricing and saying the value of the work. And it needs to be the other way around because the builders are the ones who actually understand the value of their work more so than, you know, a brand or a client. So there's, there's definitely negotiation that can happen. But when it really comes down to it, um, artists really need to consider the amount of time that they're spending on something and then how valuable their time is. So one thing I always say when someone goes, you know, how do I set my rates? Um, The first thing you want to do is look at the professional rates and the professional salaries, what companies are paying for those skills right now. Then you take a look at the job description and what skills do you fill out and which ones do you have an opportunity to educate yourself on? So that'll give you an idea of where in that salary you fit. So if you fit all the criteria and all the all of the qualifications, then that should be your rate. Because if someone were to hire you for eight hours a day, that's what they would pay you, right? If you're missing some of those skills, then that's where you know, okay, I have you know a hole I need to fill in my education. So I'll fill that hole, maybe bring my rate down a little bit while I'm learning those skills and building up those skills to be up to you know industry standard. But what we're seeing happen in this space, especially as artists are going, I'll sell you an asset for like 30 bucks <laughs> or 40 bucks. And then there's like right away, it, it completely diminishes, like unless you're, you know, giving it away for art or for giveaways or something like that. But I mean, for those that are like actually trying to monetize their collections, um, putting your, your items at a really low rate when you are being hired as a bespoke artist, as someone to create a unique asset for a company, they have a need for that asset for some reason, right? So you got to find out the why they need that asset. And then if they're just looking for like something to just throw in a game and, you know, whatever, like they, they're not, they don't really care about the level of detail or the animation or how it's contributing to their brand, then by all means, if you can put something quickly together in an hour for 50 bucks and like you're happy with the quality of that, okay, sure. Um, But really they can then take that asset and sell, you know, a thousand copies of it for, you know, (laughs) 30 bucks or 20 bucks or even 10 bucks. But a thousand copies of that is, you know, then you're 
tripling, doubling, quadrupling, multiplying their income. Um, and this is the thing that artists need to understand is that businesses will take advantage of artists if they can. Like, that's just the way it is. If they find a, a cheap rate, a lot of the times they'll go for it. So knowing your value and knowing your skill set and being able to speak on that with a client is super important, but also making sure that you're not diminishing your time because of pushback. Because in sales, like if you're speaking with a business and you're negotiating your rate as an artist, they have literally trained on ways to negotiate you down, <laughs> right? Like that's what a lot of our sales training is, is how to negotiate to get the rates that we want and to get the, you know, the result that we want. And a lot of the times you'll see the artists are so hungry for the work that they'll kind of accept, you know, whatever rate comes their way. And I'm not saying for everybody, but for new artists, especially. And this is where you got to go, okay, for this asset, I think it's actually going to take me, you know, this is going to, this is going to take me eight to 10 hours. Like this is a big deal. Okay. Well, if I quote, you know, a few hundred dollars, maybe that's going to be too high. And then they end up quoting a much lower rate just because like straight out the gate. So I always say, start with your highest rate and something that you can negotiate back and then work from there. Because when it comes down to it, if you negotiate your rate down so much for each asset, you're going to end up spending full days and making 20 to 30 bucks a day um, with your skill set. And that's not realistic, first of all, to live off of. But second of all, those companies are getting an absolute steal because they need your skill set, but they're not willing to pay for it. But you're willing to do it for what they're willing to pay. If that makes sense. So if nobody is willing to do do it for that low of a rate, then they have to raise their expectations. Does that make sense? Like it, it, it all really comes down to how the artists are holding their their quality and their their rates for how much they're they're charging their clients. Yeah, uh, I mean, hundred percent. That makes sense. And you know, I think. Um, hearing your perspective, I think it's it's a very unique perspective. Most of the time, you know, in the, in the space and in traditional like uh, web two, you always hear about, about people really putting it on the community to, you know, you know, support your one of one artists and, you know, buy their work. And, and that's, that's important. Yes. Support it, you know, buy the work, but your perspective saying, you know, you have to value yourself higher before other people will. I mean, I think it, it's great advice. Yeah, and it's super important. And, you know, I, I see what you're saying because that's really what got me to start talking about this um, was that as a business, I was looking to hire artists for certain projects. And I was like, hey, you know, give me a rate for, you know, if we need four assets that look like this, give me your rate. And I can't believe how many artists will come back or did come back at the time going, yeah, I think it will be like this much, but it could be this much. And then if we add it, it's this much. And you're going, okay, right away as a business, I don't think that that person really knows what they're doing as an artist. Like, even though they do as an artist, I know because I've create that there's so many different factors that come into play, level of detail, level of animation, coloring, like all of that stuff. But this is where artists need to realize that businesses don't normally know exactly what they're looking for. And they're actually looking for our experience to dictate what the project is going to look like, right? Like they can have a vision, but we know the space. So we know what works and what doesn't and what's engaging and what's not. And this is where confidence comes in too. And having 
the confidence to speak on your skill set and to basically stand your ground with your rates. And and you're right, like that that's a big thing. You know, community built doesn't like with uh with Squiggly, we're building Star Factions, which is, you know, an awesome RPG game that our, our whole builder community, our studio builders have been working so diligently on. And we're using it both as a learning opportunity, but we're also going to be monetizing it. So the whole community is involved in how we're going to be monetizing that. And I think that's a really important part, too, is that if you have something that's community driven, being super clear about what the expectations are and what's going back into the community after and not just like long term, long scale promises like I, I want to see like your roadmap, your internal roadmap actually include who's getting paid and where it's going and how it's being divvied out and what the priorities are. And these are things that I think when we do community built projects, a lot of people don't consider these things. It's They make it more about the excitement around the community um, rather than the application itself. Like what is your what is your actual like function, your layout? Like if I'm an artist and I'm joining this, what are my expectations? Like what can I expect to gain from this in six to 12 months? And I think that's where a lot of projects have the opportunity to clarify a little bit better for their artists. Um, and also understand that when we say, you know, it's going back into the community, it's going back into the community. This needs to be a tangible thing. <laughs> like that that has to be something that people actually start seeing results from. And it can be either learning or earning. So I always think, you know, your time is best spent doing one of one of those two things. So if you're not earning money with your group, are you earning or sorry, if you're not earning money, are you learning? So when we talked earlier about filling out those skill sets for salary expectations and, and um, monetary expectations. That's where you go, okay, if you're going to join a community project, then fill in those gaps in your, I guess, artist resume, artist portfolio, like whatever those gaps are, if you're learning those along with a group and you're going to be able to add them to your resume after and have a project to show that you played a part doing, you know, that role or that skill set, um, that's just as valuable to me as earning money on a project, but it has to be worth your time. Right. So it has to be something that eventually down the road, you can say, you know, yes, I can do this at a professional level. I'm proficient at it. And this is how I can contribute to the project. But if you're learning it along the way, then, yeah. And that's that's where I think community built projects are an incredible way for artists to expand their skill set without sacrificing too much of their time as well. And making sure that they draw safe boundaries with their time that is being contributed to community projects or even like their own free like art projects and then what they're being paid for um, and that's really how you find financial dependence within financial independence within your craft so how many uh people do you have working on this one yeah big so game? like what is the size of that project <laughs> that's a good question so our learning community is just over 1,500, so our students. And then our students, once they pass through a few, um, once they pass through some squiggly courses, they can apply to become a part of the studio. And right now, I think we've got about 27 builders in our studio. Um, and essentially, when it comes to the studio, everybody owns their own time. So, you know, we don't, uh, we don't tell anybody when they need to commit to things or how they need to do things. We essentially will 
you know, put up what needs to be done. And then everyone who's available and ready to go that week and within that skill set or wants to build on that skill set, they can work on whatever is due that week. Um, so yeah, there's about 20, there's between 25 and 30 because we're still accepting um, some people as well. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great number because the, just the array of talent is mind boggling to me. Like we have, you know, some people with architectural backgrounds, we have some people with, you know, real life own their own brand background and are just getting into the space. So it's, it's really cool because I think the more people you have involved in a community project, the more flexibility it allows for everybody as an individual. I, and I personally, you know, maybe this is such a naive answer. I just think the coolest part about community projects is all the minds coming together. It's like just like I know we were talking a little bit about like just the innovation and and the ideas and everything coming out of this space. Like, you know, being around these people every day in this space, like I, I'm still like blown away. Like I just the the people I'm meeting within this space it's crazy like their their ideas you know their the knowledge they have like you know even you you talking about your perspective here like I'm blown away I'm like you know that's stuff I I never would have thought about but now that you're mentioning it like it's it's so valuable so yeah it's just awesome and you know again I'm I'm thankful to be a part of it every day same and and I I totally agree it's the, the my favorite part of any project is the brainstorming so <laughs> what I've learned from doing these projects is the less control that you put over the brainstorming and creative process, the more innovative your project will be. Because a lot of the ideas that in a boardroom or in like a, a typical like workspace, a lot of the ideas that get said no to are usually the most risky or the most creative. Um, when we're doing these community projects, what I love is that um, one of the things that I'm supporting with is I support the project managers. So I'm mentoring the project managers throughout the, the process as well and, and teaching them different ways to approach, like as a leader, um, different ways to problem solve, different ways to um, even different ways for them to manage a project, like based on their own personality type. And one of the big things that I find is that in, in a lot of spaces where we would normally say no to an idea because of the risk and because of how long it might take, when we're doing a project like this that allows for creative freedom, I love that we can go further with every single idea. So we'll put, you know, a bunch of ideas up and then because it's run in a democratic uh, approach or a cooperative approach, everybody votes on everything. So like that might sound like it's, you know, um, it's a little heavy <laughs> for like interaction, but it really makes a big difference because you're not required to vote. So, you know, if there's something that you're passionate about and you want to get, make sure that your voice is heard on it, you can put a say into, you know, that part of the project. And what I've noticed to, to add on to what you were just saying is that instead of seeing feedback on a lot of these ideas, we see additions. <laughs> we see like, oh, I love that. You know, we could do it this way or we could do it that way. And then you have someone who's, you know, really adept at game mechanics comes in and is like, I love what you did with that animation. You know, I could do this with our next quest and we can make it really cool by adding in, you know, this, like there's just, they'll start just adding in so many different things that layer on top of each other. And before you know it, you have an entire idea built out just based off of suggestions. 
Um, and, and that's really the magic of it is allowing everybody. And even as leaders, like we have to make sure that we're constantly allowing people the freedom and the comfort to speak up on their ideas as well. Um, I think that's a really important thing. Like some people are not comfortable voicing their ideas verbally. Some people are not comfortable even writing them out. Some people are very visual and just use images. Um, so ensuring that you also have set up, you know, methods that people can contribute their ideas in several different ways, because we don't have one single team member who contributes in or sorry, we don't have one single method that we use for all team, team members to contribute to. Like, um, you know, you don't have to be in every meeting. You don't <laughs> like there aren't there aren't as many requirements when we do it this way. And just the flexibility and the freedom that it allows, I find it it leaves so much space for creativity and innovation. And it just takes things so much further than they normally would go, I think, on a regular like brand or company project. Because again, that risk is not there, that financial risk. The risk that everybody's taking really is their time, their own time and their own like financial risk. But that's where the freedom part comes in. How much time do you want to contribute to this? And then we just make sure that's communicated clearly from the get-go. Like if someone's going to be working on it 20 hours a week and we all know that, then that's our go-to person for certain things to make sure that everything is put together nicely and, and whatnot. If someone has an hour or two a week, we want to make sure that we capitalize on that time with them as much as possible um, in the sense of making sure that their voice is heard and that they don't get drowned out throughout the week and anything that they've said remains as, as a viable suggestion, right? So yes, the creativity is awesome and it's probably the, the best part of all with these community projects, but also making sure that there's organization behind it so that communication doesn't get lost amongst everybody and making sure you have somewhere where all the ideas kind of live and um, are organized together. That's so amazing and really empowering for people all around the world, right? Because you never know when people will be available to work. Like maybe they're in Australia and their time is available when you are not. Like, I think that's great. Yeah, it's it, the time differences are, I see, I think they're awesome. <laughs> they confuse me a lot. Anyone who knows me, I'm like, I, I get really confused on time, like with because our all of our all of my team members are global and on different times. Just same with you guys. I probably guess the same thing as well. We're um, in three different so time zones like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just put it in the calendar and then we'll know when it's happening. I know. Um, I still have to Google. I'm like, oh, Google, can you translate this my time zone to this time zone? Like, I'm, I agree. It, it's tough, but you know, I think looking at it from the approach you said, um, it's a good approach too. Like, uh, you know, thinking about it as a strength rather than a weakness. Yeah, totally. And I, I think just knowing different ways to approach the organization helps a lot. Um, but the most important thing is you want everyone to have a role that they enjoy and that they love like as a lead or as a leader or as a project manager or on the executive team, I would never ask someone on a creative project to do something that they really don't want to do. Um, because I think right away it starts affecting the energy of the project itself. Um, and you know, we don't need to, <laughs> right? Like if the artist really doesn't want to contribute a certain thing there's a why behind it usually so that's when we can take time to figure out okay why and what's an alternative 
And I think, you know, when it comes to not only problem solving, but also bringing new suggestions and bringing new creativity. And like we were just saying, you know, getting everybody on the same page or in the same room at once can be really hard. So that's where it comes down to. um, I've been sharing a lot of tools with builders that support, you know, project management, organization, overseeing marketing, um, different methods to file share, even I know that's something that, you know, we're trying to we're seeing it being innovated in a lot of different parts of the space. And I'm always down if you guys know, like different file sharing formats, like, let me know. Um, But one of the things that I'm that I'm sharing and putting together is, so I work with Squiggly, I'm COO at Squiggly, but I also for quite a while have been a consultant and a business strategist. So I've recently rebranded my company to Envision Studios. So I'll be launching that uh, mid-August. And one of the things included in there will be a course for game developers, game designers, project managers that gives basically all a huge list of different tools that you can use to organize your project. So I don't plan on, you know, making it some long drawn out course. Um, but essentially, I, I want to get as many possible resources as I can available to builders so that they can go to one spot and literally have a list of different links and different apps that they can try out. Um, because I think that's where one of the biggest opportunities is, is just understanding that a lot of the resources that builders are looking for in projects are already available and have all are already being utilized by businesses in different industries, but it very much applies here. Um, so there, there's so many different resources, like for example, even just project management software, like, you know, Asana or Trello or ClickUp, like there's so many different ways that they can organize their projects and get communication flowing that, you know, I think it really comes down to just having that resource available and knowing where to look because it can definitely be overwhelming, <laughs> especially if you're an artist and not a project manager, like you're not, you don't have experience in, in leading things like that. Um, so I'm, I've put together and again, it'll launch mid-August, but essentially it'll be a, a huge, a huge resource for anybody in game development who's looking to do a project from start to finish we support the back end and things that can help them with uh, getting and achieving clients as well. You know, I think all the, you know, you're talking about um, project management for builders, but I think all the stuff you're saying too can apply to, to a lot of things that you do in life. And, you know, I think the project managers, the community manager, it's such an underrated part of the space at the, at this moment. You know, there's so much opportunity for education and, um, you know, what you're, what you're launching in August. It's super cool. And, you know, at non-refungible network, we kind of aim to do the same thing, you know, education, like so much info out there in this space, but somebody to gather it for you and, you know, present it to you and, you know, kind of make sure it's reliable. Like, you know, yeah, we're, there's we're so much noise too. And it's, it's, <laughs> Yeah. And so just kind of canceling it all out. But I think, you know, back to my point, the project managing side and organizing and, you know, really putting emphasis on, 
you know, putting expectations and gathering your roles, you know, that's something that we're actually focusing on right now. So it's kind of funny that, that you're talking about this, you know, we're having, you know, kind of a restructure and we're saying, okay, how do we move forward from where we're at and what we've been doing? We're, we're doing this now and, you know, it's been going okay, but how do we get to that next level? What did, what is it that we need to do? And so, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know how <laughs> it's funny, like you felt like when you were a kid, you'd be like, what book you were reading in English class kind of correlated to your life. Like that's how I'm kind of feeling right now with you talking about all this. Um, you know, I've been, we've been dealing with this a little bit as well. So yeah, it, it's great to hear. That's awesome. I'm glad it applies. Cause it's, it's one of those things like I've done a ton of research, especially over the last six months, all of the work that I've been doing has been in this space. And like we've been building exclusively in the sandbox um, and we're looking to, to be interoperable as well, right? So I've known that over the last six months, I've gone, okay, so we know that in hindsight, we want to be interoperable. So while everybody's building, um, I put together resources for everyone. I give them the resources as they need them. But I've also been doing a ton of connecting and finding resources on the other side for different metaverse worlds and virtual worlds that are being built that aren't so popular in gaming right now or amongst gaming um, game devs or builders um, because there's a lot that are basically like corporate facing, I guess you could say. Um, like they're more like they're less gamey and might to us as visual designers, they might seem a little bit more simplified and too simplified for what we're doing. But the reality is, is that some of these resources out there, some of the ones that don't look as visually appealing are actually the best ones for organization. <laughs> so, so yeah. And, and I think like, you know, the work you're doing, like trying to equip these artists with, you know, the, the knowledge and, you know, like the power of, of, you know, knowing their worth and stuff like that, like that's stuff that they'll, they will be able to take elsewhere. Like if another, metaverse pops up like I mean we're gonna have more but you know sometime they decide they want to check out something else besides sandbox like they're gonna be able to take these you know these things they've learned and these resources they have and apply it elsewhere so I think it's it's really important to sometimes you know zoom out and look at the bigger picture than what you're just like currently working on you know totally totally and and a really important part of that too is like you don't necessarily, because it can really easily get overwhelming for someone, right? Like, like if someone's learning how for to build sure. in a sandbox and they're like, oh, you know, a client's asking me about, you know, Decentraland, but like, I don't use those programs and I don't do, it's not one of those things where you need to take it on yourself. I think one of the big shifts that is going to be happening, or we're already starting to see it actually is that gig economy, I truly think with virtual worlds coming out, I think gig economy is going to be everything. Um, this is also why I'm so focused on, I'm going to have a course on how to create a democratized work environment as well, because I think that's going to be super important, especially for these builder and creative and dev communities, um, where essentially everyone's going to need to have freedom to move around from project to project. If there's one thing I can say that has been a constant throughout every artist, and I've done a ton of one-on-one -on -one meetings with the builders in our, in our studio and in other studios. Um, if there's one constant, it is that they change their mind at some point and want to do something new and that it's not uncommon for them within a year to do, you know, two different 
three different ideas and start learning different crafts. And I think rather than see that as a weakness, because career mentality has been such a big thing, I think for most of our lives and generations before, it's changing now from career mindset to creative mindset. And I think as part of the creative mindset, artists are going to need the flexibility to move from one project to the next. And I think rather than fighting against that and trying to convince them to stay in Decentraland or to stay with Blender or to stay with Unit, you know what I mean? Like to stay using these particular programs. um, I think we need to start now in creating structures that will allow them to move around and be creative without sacrificing like what you would normally sacrifice when you move jobs, like um, even things down to understanding how to do their taxes or their, their, you know, get their own healthcare. Like these things sound like they're not related to what we're doing, but they're very much so related to what we're doing because that's part of the career mindset. If you work with us, we'll give you this benefit, this benefit, this benefit. Rather than that, we want to educate artists on saying, hey, here are some ways that you can be an individual contractor. Here are safe ways to move from you know, one project to the next. And here are the things that you need to have in place to make sure that you are protected and you have everything you need throughout your journey. So it's, it's wild because I think as we move towards this creator economy and, and the gig economy, um, there's the, I think the toughest challenges are going to be for leadership teams, to be honest. Um, it's going to be letting the harness go, like like letting go of the reins um, when it comes to having say over the people who are working on your project. We're going to have to allow a ton of creative freedom if we want to build the interoperability that we're talking about. We need to allow artists to explore their own brain and explore their own yeah. interests because that's where our innovation is really coming from is curiosity, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I definitely agree just thinking about that. Um, you know, it's the whole point of Web3 is we're trying to be different. Like, you know, so just thinking about the way like a corporate structure works, like, you know, like that that's not going to work in Web3. So definitely, you know, it, it's very valuable. Like you're pointing out that leadership teams are also going to have to restructure the way the way they think and the way they operate as well, because, you know, the hope is that it, it's not going to be the same. Right. Right. And, and a big and I think the biggest challenge for these leadership teams is going to be letting go of control um, because it's not even not even just letting go of control. But when at the same time you let go of control, they need to gain trust. <laughs> there needs to be trust with the artist. And, you know, I think when it comes to that, like it, it can be really difficult from like in just my experience being in tons of rooms with different leaders and executives when it comes to letting go of control i find that that's going to be that's going to play a huge part in how this space innovates um we're going to see some startups and some smaller companies absolutely take over in the next few years simply because they did something that these big huge companies won't take a risk on Um, And a lot of the times those ideas are born from a a suggestion that sounds crazy in a meeting. (laughs) And those are the ones that instead of, you know, shying away from them in this space, especially when you get it, when you hear an idea that sounds like, you know, out of this world nuts, those are the ones you want to dive into and, and try and figure out why. 
why does that sound so strange? Does that actually grab my attention because it's completely outside of what I would have thought of for this idea? Like this is where the innovation comes in. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a big challenge. And you know, that's, again, that's one of the reasons why I'm going to be launching my courses in August because I've got one for artists um, who are in this space learning to build and develop and how they can do project management and lead and things like that. I've got another one for businesses that are looking to enter the space and just educate them on it, how to do it, support them through the process. Um, but then the other one is going to be democratizing your work environment and how to do that. And, you know, some of the some of them are tough pills to swallow for people who are used to having the last word and the last say and the final decision in a lot of rooms. They're going to have to pull back on that and understand that Web3 and the metaverse and everything that we're talking about is community, right? So it has to be 100%. run. Yeah, so we got to run it that way too. It, if and we're I think running like it the, like corporate, it doesn't work. Yeah, and like the huge thing to me that sticks out about Web3 is, you know, eliminating those, you know, invisible barriers or ropes between the leadership team and you know just like the normal like workers so like just example in in web3 you see like i mean you're the coo of squiggly and i'm sure you're you're very engaged in the community but like in web2 in a corporate world you never see the coo or the ceo and stuff like that like the workers don't know them they don't interact with them and that's that's the beauty of web3 is breaking down these barriers and you know there's still going to be a structure and, you know, expectations and stuff, but kind of, you know, eliminating those gaps and making more equal, I guess. Yeah, of course. And, and how, how, so here's how I approach this as a COO at Squiggly and a founder at Envision. My whole goal is like as an individual, cause I'm also an artist who likes to switch things up. I, I don't like to do the same thing for too long, which is why I started doing what I do, where I work with different companies, help them structure, help them figure it out. And then I move on to the next company, help them structure, help them figure it out and move on to the next company. That being said, if everyone approached their own job that way, just think of how different <laughs> the space would be. So if every time I, I came into something, I was like, I'm going to learn this skill, I'm going to perfect this skill, and then I want to teach somebody else so that they can do it as strong as I can do it so I can move away from it. That's my approach. <laughs> so I want to learn how to do this. Well, there's like truly strength in numbers. Like, <laughs> it's and awesome. it's like And it's like you don't have to because you know something and you don't have to like hide it and, and, and keep it concealed so others can't can't know what you know like it's it's truly like strength in numbers we're better together like that's that's what I believe truly and I think you know that's that's the overall you know in web three like that's what the people that are here now I feel like they share the same sentiment and I think that's why it's so cool totally totally and a big thing too that you know you can consider alongside it is when you need support where do you go if you haven't shared any of your information with anybody or if nobody's helping you with what you're doing and something happens to you and you need help to finish the project, who do you go to? Now you've got to go fill somebody in on everything. Um, when you're working in like a democratized co-op structure where it's more about skill sharing than responsibilities, um, it really changes up the dynamic for support too. And I have to say that because like I had an emergency a few months ago, a health emergency, and I was out for, for about a week. But we had already structured everything out so that everyone knew what was coming up. 
everyone knew, you know, I had gotten everything ready for them already. I had already communicated what needed to be done. And because our communication was so clear and so open, there was no, it was like, it was the wild, like I've never experienced that in a workplace, even for me, um, where the support just picked up so seamlessly. So I was just like, Hey guys, you know, we're going to be, I'm going to be out for a week. I was in the hospital. I said, we're going to be out for a week. Um, I need support. And they're like, yeah, we got it. So I sent them all my links. This is all my stuff. This is what I have. And that's it. The project went on smoothly. There was no hiccups. Like it was, it was easy. And I'm going, okay, this was my first experience with that kind of thing happening. But just the value of that feeling of that just deep breath that like you don't have to worry because work, I think, can add some huge stresses when we're in times of our life that are challenging. I don't think work should be an added stress for those times. I think those are times where we need to, you know, buckle down with family, friends, get the support you need and not be worrying about your projects. And we need to understand that transparency and teamwork and community can contribute to that. But the only way that it'll contribute to that is if we ourselves are more open with our communication and we're open to share our learns. So if you're someone that has trouble with doing that because you feel very like, you know, if I share this with somebody, then they're going to take it and run with it and they're going to make more money with it or whatever. Um, just tell yourself, I need to learn this skill so I can have it on my, on my belt buckle as something I can do I want to practice it so that I'm comfortable doing it, can do it in a, in a good span of time. And then I want to make sure that somebody else knows how to do it so that if I ever need support, I can go to this person or that person or that person. If you keep your cards too close to your chest all the time, you will never have support when you need it. And that's a really not good feeling for anybody, right? Whether you're an artist, a dev, you know, a, even a project manager. Um, I always have two project managers on on every project, by the way. So just as like a, you know, a heads up to anybody who's doing development out there, either have two project managers or, you know, have a lead that's just under your project manager so that you always have two people that are in the know of everything that's going on at once. But yeah, like the democratized structure has its challenges because the ego is challenged and that's in everybody. That's not just me or you or, you know, or executives, but even for artists, because we can be very, um, we, we do, we hold our cards close to our chest when it comes to our knowledge base sometimes because we worry I don't know why. I think it's just like something that's been embedded into us socially, but we worry that somebody else is going to do it better. And really, my best advice to artists is like, let that go because nobody can really recreate what you did, right? If you're, if it came from your brain and your creativity and, you know, these are your ideas, even if somebody tries to copy it, it'll never be your original idea. You know what I'm saying? You can always come up with a new idea. You can always come up with the next thing. So share your ideas and feel free to teach your skills as much as possible because it'll you're going to learn from the people you're teaching as well. It's it's awesome. Like this is you nailed it. <laughs> Web3, this is where it's going is it, it it has to move to a cooperative democratized structure um because what we're currently experiencing with and we can, I can go on for days about this, but what we're currently experiencing with capitalism, I think the generations that are building Web3 right now 
are using innovation in the right way, where they're literally trying to problem solve a lot of the problems that we've been dealing with for decades. Um, and they're, they're using technology to do it. And, you know, it, it's wild because a lot of companies are, are not really giving it the credit that it deserves. And I, I don't mean like um, in the space, because in the space, we all know who's who and, you know, what companies are coming up and whatnot. I mean, like the general public. They don't really know the innovation that's happening in this space. But what I love about it is that even seeing these young startups and these, these new companies that are coming out, they're really trying to solve real problems that we've been dealing with for decades that need to be solved. And, you know, I think, I think we're going to see a lot of answers coming up for this, even on a societal level, uh, through the innovation that's happening. Yeah, I like to say um, collaboration over competition, because I feel like there's so much to learn from everybody. Like I'm constantly in awe of all the creators in the sandbox and in the metaverse in general. Um, I love all of them. <laughs> I can only watch so many Twitch streams, but I try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I awesome. um, want to take it back to talking about web two companies and the news we got last week that Minecraft is banning all uh, blockchain activity and I want to hear your thoughts about that and NFT worlds. And did you see a bump in people being interested in the sandbox from that? Um, I will say from a brand perspective, I've definitely had way more inquiries in, in the sandbox from those who were looking at Minecraft before. Um, I have a few different... As far as like advertising or integrating their brands into the metaverse? Yes. Yeah, so integrating their brands into the metaverse. So some of the ones that were looking at Minecraft, I think they were looking at Minecraft more so because their kids play it, to be honest. Like that yeah, was... It's, just, it's a huge name. Like, you know, everyone knows Minecraft. Right. And it's... Um, I would say like the uptick wasn't as big as I... Like, I, I wouldn't say I was expecting one, but I was kind of just curious to see. And to be honest, a lot of the brands that I'm working with are more so looking at working in, like, Decentraland because they're more familiar with Meta and Facebook. And, like, that's the mainstream kind of road that they're seeing. Um, but when it comes to the whole thing about, like, Minecraft banning NFTs, I have mixed feelings on it. <laughs> um I guess my mixed feelings come in because on one hand, as a parent, I think it makes sense to not, in a sense, like have the monetization in that space or like the ownership or digital ownership. But at the same time, I think that it's very confusing to their users when you know, there's all these expectations built over a long period of time. And you have kids who have been playing this game for like years, right? So they've worked on building, some of them have built up their streams, some of like many of them have built up like kind of their own little like mini independent businesses. So my worries are actually more towards like those artists, because that's their passion, like that's what they were they're looking to do. And obviously, the sandbox is a great next spot for them to go to. Um, but I just find the brands, after getting that news, they weren't as like, they weren't as upset, I guess, as, as I would have thought. Like some of the ones who had planned on, on entering in there it is more so just, okay, what do we do? And it was like a simple direction change. It wasn't really like, it didn't really make a huge, huge impact, at least for the companies that I'm working with. 
Um, but mind you, for our direction, we also test prototype um, interoperability. So we test, you know, across all different, um, all different forms of, of virtual interaction. And then the clients, essentially, we, we build their plan from there. So even if one removes itself in the way that, um, in the way that this one was, it's more so that it just doesn't become an option for branding because we're not so deep into it yet where a lot of these companies have like already have, at least the ones I'm working with, they were just starting their strategy now, or we just started in like January, December. So I wasn't really including Minecraft as um, a sole basis for mine because I've always seen it as um, just me personally, again, as a parent, I see it more of something for kids. So when they said they were taking away like the NFT capability, part of me was happy about it <laughs> because I'm starting to see, um, I don't know, just with, with certain things for kids. Like I feel like we still need virtual worlds that are available for kids um, that aren't monetized. But then again, I think it also offers opportunity for kids that they don't have elsewhere. So it's hard to say really, like I don't, I don't really have like a, a really huge or sorry, a really strong opinion when it comes to Minecraft because I don't work in it too much. Um, but yeah, the brands didn't, the brands I'm working with didn't really have too much of a reaction. We just moved to Sandbox, to be honest. But don't you think like the whole point of them doing this is because they're creating their own thing? Like they, they, they see the potential, they saw it. Like it's not that they're against it. They're against not having their own thing and not, not making money off of it. Yeah, yeah. We well, we see that too because even kind of with like I don't want to I don't want to step on toes, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of what's happening with the sandbox. Where for a while, like certain creators can't really like UGC isn't UGC yet, right? Like not everybody could upload, not everybody could just publish their game. UGC is user generated um, content. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, I know. But I mean, but I mean, in the sense of like uploading them to the marketplace and monetizing them, right? It's been a closed, a closed group, like that wasn't something that's not something public yet where just everybody could go up and, you know, start putting their assets up on the marketplace. It was a closed group that you had to be a part of in order for that to happen. And that's understandable, because it's an alpha still with, with Minecraft, though, I feel like it's been out for so long that there's really no other reason for them to do that. I think other than the one that you stated um, is that they want to kind of keep it to themselves. So it's interesting because this is what we're saying when you have um, the two different approaches to business and how we look at it, are you looking at it more for the community or are we looking at it from a capitalist mindset for, you know, income generating and we just want it to be an income generating machine I'm starting to see it more in that light that they want it to be more of an income generating machine, like just for them rather than for everybody that's building in it. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's where it's, I move more yeah, towards Yeah, It's unfortunate sandbox, to see, you know, like um, just the whole, the whole point of it is supposed to be, you know, open world, open creation, but you know, um, I think that's why, and rightfully so, that every time, you know, a, a big name company steps in the space, there's skeptics. And I think, you know, it's just, it's just the unfortunate reality of what we, you know, as a society, like in web two and the big brands now, like that's just how we're taught to be. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that's where even some of the conversation comes in with the sandbox. What I was saying earlier um, was that it, I've seen it get really frustrating for builders who are building in the sandbox. 
um, who have wanted to upload and sell their assets for quite a while now. So I think it's understanding too that like companies like the Sandbox, they need time to ensure that how they're going about doing everything on the blockchain and, you know, that their security is set up and, and all of those things, it takes time. Right. And I know that we were told, you know, in two weeks you can publish in two weeks you can publish and everybody's kind of waiting. Um, it's understanding as well that rushing into that just for the sake of rushing into it doesn't help anybody. Um, they're switching over to Polygon. There's lots of stuff happening in the background. They got to figure out the mechanics of how like asset borrowing is going to happen. Like there's just so many things that they need to figure out that it makes sense that it took it's taken a while for for users to be able to you know upload and sell their content but to completely remove the option i don't know like that's especially after it's built up so much and the community is so strong like i'm talking about minecraft now like the their community is so strong and so embedded that it kind of felt like I don't know. It just it just doesn't give me a good feeling in terms of how they approach their internal customer, which is their players and their builders. Like I just, yeah, I don't know. Even That's the wording it. of the announcement was like a little like Bitcoin NFTs. Like it just sounded like they had someone write the press release that was not familiar with <laughs> the space at all. Which is very possible. Yeah, like it could have been but, like an AI tool or something. But yeah. yeah, I see what you're saying. Like the sensitivity on the subject, like the way that they approached it, there wasn't really empathy in the announcement. Like yeah. an understanding that this is really going to affect some people. It it mm. read as like a headline. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like it read it read more as a this is what we're doing and that's it. <laughs> you're just like, yeah. okay, but why don't you put in the impact it could have on your on the community and how people might be able to make some changes to what they're currently doing in ways that they can still yeah, I don't know, like ways that they can still benefit from it. Like none of that was in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess that's or any, where any of their future plans. I know they're not going to reveal too much, but you know, they could have put you know some maybe just like a little reassurance or you know like i don't know yeah like i get what you're saying like a note to creators or something to give yeah, them yeah. some like some something to, to at least hold on hope for because mm -hmm. it, it's very yeah it, it's a big hit when you know like i know it sounds crazy but like some of these kids because there are kids like young kids that were starting to build their own businesses um using minecraft <laughs> so you're going okay um, all those plans that these kids had as a whole generation, rather than thinking about it as a loss for Minecraft, I think of it as a gain for the rest of Web3 and for the rest of, you know, virtual worlds in the metaverse, because we're going to have those creators now moving into different spaces um, when it comes to looking for income. And yes, and I hope so. Yeah. I, I truly hope so. I think like, you know, we've said it on on the show before with some past guests the the opportunity that you know younger children have at you know age 10 age 12 age 14 whatever age they start at like it's insane like when i was that young i was you know i was playing games and stuff but never never played it earn games never anything that i actually benefited from never anything i actually owned like the world they're growing up in is insane yeah. and they have a, a real opportunity it's you're right it's wild like it's it's so cool like even with um because i have a i have a six-year-old and um 
we've been making different characters on Vox Edit, and like I, I wrote a book a couple years ago, two years ago, and what started this whole thing was I actually wanted to create my book as a game. It's a it's a children's book, like a bedtime book. So my son was helping me create some of the characters, and even just seeing the math skills that come in, like even the science skills that come in, just the understanding of like spatial awareness. Um, when we're creating games and I was looking at him going, I didn't know any of that. When I was six, like I was throwing water balloons, like I wasn't doing this, but their brains, like, because we're introducing it to them as just another tool, their brains are seeing it as, oh yeah, I can learn this. That's simple. Like they don't have all of the, all of the fences that I think we had built up throughout the years in our childhood before you know, the technology age, I sound old, but I'm not that old, but like before the technology age started. And like I, when I was in, I was in school before we had computers in school. And I just remember like when computers were first introduced, we would have like an hour in the computer lab and you're going, <laughs> what yes, can I do in an hour? Lab. And like, you're trying to you remember yes. the computer lab and you like try like, and try and finish your MS assignment. Paint and oh my like, God. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember Oregon, <laughs> Oregon Trail. Trail like, yes. yes. Where in the world does Carmen yes. San Diego? Oh my God, yes. And and we had all these, like, they were like these simple, cool, like, games. And if you really think about it, even going into what we're seeing now, we're almost seeing, like, a regeneration of some of those same games and same learning portals happening, but just in a different space. And it's wild when you look at them side by side and you go, oh my gosh, some of these are actually the same thing that I used in school. It's just they're on a different level now and it's much more user friendly. And rather than, um, you know, having to click, because I know we go by clicks for a lot of things when it comes to efficiency, but like rather than having 10 clicks to answer the question in the game, it's just one. And as strange as that sounds, that makes a huge difference. Just removing those, like you think of taking any program we had when we were younger that we were learning from and making it 10, 20, 30 times more efficient and putting it so that we could actually like feel like we're standing in the world and we're interacting with it in real time in more of a virtual sense. Um, It just adds a whole other layer of excitement, I think, to the learning. So they don't even realize how much they're learning when it's happening. Um, but what we're saying with the gaming, with like Minecraft and Sandbox and everything, yes, like I think a lot of these Minecraft builders are going to realize how much more opportunity there is to build out there because they're going to start looking as they get older, they're going to start looking for different resources. What we can do now is start setting up those resources for the new artists coming into the space so that we can also reduce you know, in saying reducing the amount of clicks, we want to reduce the amount of clicks for their learning getting into the space as well. So if you want to make a game, you can do it much faster now. If you want to, if you want to put a lesson together, you can do it much faster now. And here are the platforms to do that. And here's your how to do that. And I think if we can just make an easy go-to spot for everyone that is multi-platform and just simplifies things like that's that's essentially what what I'm looking to do with this um because I think these kids aren't going to be turning to you know university and (laughs) college and some of them might many of them might do graphic design but I know as much as you know that the most learning is happening within these communities um and it's really just having a template or a guide or just like a a general understanding of 
how to go about building these things and how to organize these things and how to bring people together and how to lead. And I think those are skills that you don't necessarily have to um, break the bank going to learn in university. I think we're at a point now where you can learn them, you know, at home um, in the comfort of remote work, (laughs) remote learning. Um, But yeah, that's just my opinion on it. I think, I think education and, you know, even monetization should be accessible to absolutely everybody. And we need to open up the space and, you know, let the ego go and share and skill share as much as possible. If we really want to see this grow um, in the positive direction that I think almost everybody I've interacted wants to see it, then we just need to open up our our understanding and make sure that we're we're open to sharing what we know and also to listening to what others know as well. They're both equally important. I agree. Yeah, it, it's you know it's super awesome and refreshing to hear your perspective, hear you know your take on the space and kind of how you're navigating it. I think, I think it's so unique, but it's, it's just like, um, you know, hearing it, I'm thinking of things and viewing things the way I I never have before. And so, um, yeah, it's awesome to see all the work you're doing. Um, how can people, you know, sign up for Squiggly if they want to learn or how can they, you know, get in touch with you and, um, you know, use some of the benefits that you're offering? Yeah, of course. Um, so you can hit me up on Twitter at dream alchemist, uh, the E in alchemist is a three. And then we are at Squigglyverse on Twitter. So you can find our discord and our website there. Um, join the discord. It's an awesome community. Uh, once you've done a couple courses, apply for the studio and we'd love to have you start working on some projects with us as well. Um, and the courses are open to everyone or how, how does that work? Do you have to apply? Yeah. So the squiggly courses are free, so they're completely free. Um, they are through squiggly.school. Yeah. Our big thing is, is free education. So, um, yeah, so you can sign up for free. As you complete the courses, you receive an NFT. Um, the NFT is for our Star Factions community-built RPG game, which is so exciting. That should be out in a couple months. Um, and then, yeah, if you join the studio, you can join uh, building Star Factions, but also that's where I bring our paid work that's in the sandbox. So anytime I have a company or a project to develop in the sandbox, I work directly with Squiggly on that. So that is our an exclusive partnership that I have there. Um, and then my business courses and artist courses will be through uh, Envision, E-N-V-S-N, dot X-Y-Z. And I'll be launching that mid-August. I'll come out with a, I'll be posting on Twitter and on my LinkedIn and everything, uh, the exact launch date for that. But uh, envision.xyz we're going to have the courses for building your brand one for bringing your business into the metaverse and then another one uh, project management for artists and organizing your game dev so those are the four courses that I will be launching uh, mid-August and those will have free resources available as well some of them will be paid but uh, I want to make sure that every course that I offer does have free resources that are available to everyone so that everything is accessible, as accessible as possible. We love it. That's super awesome to see, you know, um, it's definitely needed in the space. Um, it, it's, it's just so, like I said before, refreshing to hear um, that, you know, somebody putting in the work to really educate first and, you know, um, education, the foundation for a lot of things. So it's, it's definitely needed. And, um, yeah, I love it. And for free. That's amazing. Yeah. 
yeah, very accessible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a really important thing because I, I think, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't come from like crazy privilege. <laughs> I come from a very like everyone around me is very hardworking, but we've always kind of had to grind. And, um, you know, one thing that I noticed was there there is a gap between when people aren't able to, you know, attend university for whatever reasons or college and then those who aren't. And, you know, some people offer like really hugely expensive courses and then you don't see anything except for sign up now. And, you know, I don't think that's fair. I think if somebody wants to invest in a course, then there should be the option, of course, like if we're going to go deep into it and I'm going to spend, you know, eight hours with you a week on building your brand, then yeah, like my time, I value my time as well. Um, But if it's someone who's willing to put in the time to learn, I think that's the perfect opportunity as leaders for us to recognize that and say, you know what, I'm going to give you as many resources I can possibly give you so that you can educate yourself in the space as well. And I think that's really where um, Squiggly and Envision both from both sides of the coin, that's like the most important thing that we're focusing on is making sure that it's accessible. So I appreciate that you guys, you know, acknowledge that and, and appreciate that as much as we do. Yeah. You know, yeah. Thank you for taking the time to share everything with us. You know, we usually end out our show with asking some advice that you'd give, but we pretty much got the <laughs> advice the whole the whole show, which which is awesome. You know, I, I cannot wait for some of our artists and builders to listen to this because I think, you know, it, it's some really great stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. My, my advice, if there was like one final advice, it would be OK, let's hear it. Would it would be know your value. Figure out okay, like and know that. your value because your client, any client should never, the, the client should never determine your value. Only you know how much your time is worth. So that is like always my final, my best advice. Know your value and don't let it be undermined by someone who has never or will never see your work. It's it's super yes. important because only and they can apply can to a that. lot of things. You know, it, yeah. it can apply to your artist work, but even if you're even if you're not like an artist creating art, it can apply to to you and your role as another job. Like it, it really is valuable advice to learn. Totally, yeah. <laughs> know your value and know your time because your time is your value, right? Like if you're putting eight to ten hours into something, what are you getting from it? Do you love it? Are you mm-hmm. learning? Are you earning? What's what's going on? So as long as we can figure those things out for ourselves, then we're winning. We're up. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much well, for having yeah, me. Before we wrap, for- I have to say shout out to Maddox of Furia, who is the builder in the sandbox who um, connected us, Amanda, you and me. So yes, shout definitely. out to Maddox. Shout out we Maddox. love you, Maddox. Thank <laughs> yes. you. <laughs> yes and yeah, shout we, out to, we love our sandbox builders yeah yeah man i was just gonna say shout out to all the builders in the sandbox and you know everybody we've been interacting with on twitter shout out to the squiggly fam you know we've yeah got, it, it's awesome to, to everybody who's been involved in this community i love you it's guys fantastic community twitter, yeah. like i got you so i'm glad you shout <laughs> yeah. out maddox get it mad <laughs> yeah and i you know i can't wait to have you back on hopefully after you've launched envision and you know um the the squiggly game is out so yeah we'll definitely have to have you back on and you know hear what you've been up to and you know get some more advice yeah i know we didn't really even get to touch on you as an artist as much but um there's just so many other interesting things we were talking about so yeah we'd love to have you back on sometime 
Awesome. Yeah, I look forward to it. I can't wait because there's going to, we know a lot changes quick. So yeah. <laughs> yes, there's yeah. a lot going on, I think, by that time. So yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for having me. This is awesome. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and of both of you as well. So thank you. Oh. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> That's awesome. all for this episode. You can find us on Twitter at NF Queens Podcast and stay tuned for next week. Bye.